0: Welcome to Listening Space.
1: Join Cornelia and her guests and learn how to improve your life and relationships. Hello and welcome to the Listening Space podcast. I am Cornelia and I am here to help with life and mindset hacks to help you live and love your life to the fullest. In case you are new here, I talk about how to take care of and maintain your mindset and mental health emotional health and spiritual well-being. I love sharing practical tips, mindset hacks and insights and today I am excited to introduce my first special guest this year. (laughs) Today I am talking to Natalie from Relationships Revisioned. Natalie is a transformational relationship coach who helps freedom-loving women and couples to deeply connect and build a fulfilling relationship this conversation has a lot of nuggets for everybody in it so if you're not a freedom loving woman keep listening because we got something for everybody in this conversation I met Natalie last year through a group of peers and whenever Natalie shared her insights and stories within the group, it resonated a lot. So I had to invite her because I think you will enjoy this conversation too. And as you might know, a fulfilling relationship contributes to a happier and more conscious life as well. So this fits in perfectly here we touch base on a couple of points for example how a relationship can be transformative for you and help you to look inward Mm -hmm. because it is not about how you can change your partner and have them fulfill you right we talk about what to do when your partner is not into self-development or open to change and we also talk about chemistry, compatibility, and masculine and feminine energy, and what it means in the relationship context. I hope you enjoy our conversation, but listen to it for yourself. Here comes Natalie.
0: Hi, Natalie. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on here with me today. I'm
1: I'm
2: really, really excited about us chatting today.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I would love to hear more about yourself and how you got into relationship coaching, and share it with the lovely listeners. And I'm really excited to hear all about it, <laughs> all about you <laughs> and the thing that you, the things that you do. So, yeah, awesome. Loves a little more.
2: Oh, well, uh, it's always where to start. <laughs> so I am a transformational relationship coach who works with women and specifically freedom loving women, passionate, self-aware, freedom loving women uh, who want a more connected and fulfilling relationship with a the man they love, even if he's not into Therapy or coaching or self-development himself. So I am a complete and utter relationship nerd. I eat, sleep, breathe, love, see, sense relationship dynamics all the time. And um, someone once called me uh Sherlock Holmes of Relationship Dynamics, which I actually really love. I sometimes think of it as being you know, a relationship detective. Um, It's just I absolutely love the interplay between people. Um, And I have a I don't know, it's that kind of sense of being able to feel into people and feeling into you know their stuff, but also into their like most shiny, passionate, self-realized potential. And the stuff that gets that's right now is between them and expressing that potential in their life every day. And then how that shows up in relationships. So that's, (laughs) that's, that's the, that's, I guess, why I got into the relationship work that I do is just that I've been doing this all my life. And that's no, there's almost no conversation I have with people that doesn't eventually turn to, their relationships and sex, and um, like what's going wrong in their relationship, and like why, or people like women not being able to understand their guy. And everywhere, everywhere I go, and everyone I talk to, that's where the conversation turns to. And so I formalized it a few years ago and uh, created various iterations of this business. And right now it's living in the home of Co. And mainly because um, I am a massive visionary and there's just ways that we live in this world that don't make sense to me. And I've been really on a sort of a, self-development spiritual development path for just over 20 years now and um, there's just so many of the things that we take for granted in life and in in relationships and never really made sense to me and the more I studied and the more practiced and the more experimented myself like for myself in my own life and in my relationships the more I realized that they have this visionary macrocosm and then you have the relationship as a microcosm. And the way you can change the world and the way you can change society and the way you can change families and our descendants is through the relationship we have right now. That, that's the mirror and that's where the work is and that's what thrills and excites me. So that's, I guess, is long answer of how I got to where I am right now and what I'm doing.
0: I, I just love everything about it <laughs> and <laughs> recently I actually recorded an episode about love languages because I think it is really important to not just work on yourself and be aware of certain things and how how others as well let's say work <laughs> um, it, it just all ties in together And you touch based on that and the love languages, right? So you can use them with family, friends or within relationships. So I wonder, does that come up as well when you work with your clients and what you think about the love languages?
2: Yeah, so I I haven't studied the love languages in depth, but I encountered them myself a few years ago. And uh, they were definitely revolutionary for me in understanding the other Um, So we all come into um, our relationships looking through a particular lens and that, and we don't don't know that we're wearing a particular lens. And um, the problem with that particular lens is that in the back of our minds, even if we're quite self-aware, there's this unconscious program that expects other people to do what we would do in a particular situation. I mean, I I even know for myself in my relationship, (laughs) when I go to my partner and go, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have said that, or I wouldn't have reacted to you. Well, no, of course I wouldn't because I'm me. And one of the the fundamental um, perspectives in the relationship work that I do is sovereignty. And sovereignty is recognizing that we are two complete and separate people interacting independently in relationship to each other and so the love languages are like one of the doorways you can look at that through and i listened to the episode of yours i really liked it and um it is really fundamental in relationships to know that how we love our partner and how we express that love isn't necessarily the same ways that they are feeling loved or expressing their love um i had a, a past relationship where my, at the time, so first of all, I love languages on static because I definitely used to be more in quality time and physical touch. And I was with somebody whose primary language, now in hindsight, was really very clearly acts of service. And he would do acts of service that didn't matter to me. <laughs> and so, He was constantly doing things that I did not appreciate or even I criticized or I couldn't understand why he was doing this. In fact, I think you had an example like this. He was doing all these things for me. And what I just wanted was his presence and his attention and just time to sit together and just be together in a really present way. And it wasn't until a very long time after that relationship, when I look back through the lens of the love languages that I realized how hard he was trying to express his love to me and how impossible it was for me to receive it because I didn't know. Um, My my love languages have actually changed now. So quality time still remains my top one, but acts of service has crept up the list. I don't know if that's a different life stage or because I've done different kind of healing and my needs have changed, but I think that's also just, you know, that these things aren't necessarily static. How about you?
0: Yeah, I, I just love the love languages. <laughs> <laughs> they helped me in so many ways with so many relationships um, across, you know, family, friends and romantic relationships. It's just so useful to be aware of different ways of communication. And I love how you mentioned that we all live and look through our own lenses so what happens when there is a couple let's say and both of them look through their own lens and they might not be aware that their partner you know looks through a different lens is there any ways how they can become more self-aware or aware of the partner's lenses before they might start working with let's say you or get support in general like what can a couple do to improve you know, miscommunication as such.
2: Yes, yeah, so for me, I think um, the problem with some of these things is that they live in our blind spot. So because they live in our blind spot, it is quite difficult to be able to see them unless something shifts up perspective. So I think in your uh, last episode, you recommended to people to you know go to the website and do the test and to um, read the book. So things like that listening to like podcasts like yours and getting pointers to things that could be problems in relationships is is really the only way you can start because unless you understand about love languages or other profiling systems and you have a, a really good idea of who you are you haven't got a starting point to start to recognize those things so generally um it's about exposing yourself to different ideas uh, in relationships, reading relationship books, reading personal development books, which I think is the kind of thing your audience does do. And um, when I work with my clients, often my clients come into, you know, up into the program without having any concept of those things. Um, and so I had a, a client recently who was uh, familiar with her mbti your personality profiling system and listening to her speak to speak about her partner and the problems she was having with him the quality she was describing in her partner uh, seemed very recognizable to me as a different as a different profile than her one and one that i'm actually much more familiar with so again it's that kind of situation where you're just butting up against your partner's behavior and it's incomprehensible and it's incomprehensible because you don't have the knowledge or the information to open that window for you. And so the only way to open that window is to explore. You know, do profiling tests, do the um the love languages tests, you know, even you do that your, uh, highly sensitive person tests, things like that. And then recognize your behaviors and the way you present and the way you do things in your relationship or the way you love your partner or the way you express things in your communication and then start a conversation with your partner go well hey like these things I just discovered like does this sound true like these are the things this profile says I am like I don't recognize some of the stuff what do you think because I can tell you that your partner can see things in you through a different lens than you see them in you And so you can have it as a conversation starter. And then if they open to it, they can go and do the test. And then once you both have an idea and you go, oh, oh, that makes sense. So you you need a starting point. And usually that's one person getting curious, one person getting experimental, one person having a problem that they can no longer work around and wanting to solve it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I always love to say to people keep questioning be curious and that makes so much sense so what happens when one of when one of the individuals in the couple isn't open to question themselves or you know anything (laughs) or it might be too much and they just shut down for so whatever reason it is yeah. what can the partner do to you know support or you know improve the situation
2: so you've touched on a few different things there so i'm going to uh, start with the what can you do if you're the only person who wants changing your relationship and your partner does not seem in any way open to it or interested in it or even flat out resistant to it and The analogy that I use for this is that a a couple together are two people who have, over time, written a play together. So you have the stage, and she comes on stage left, and she reads her opening line. And then he comes on stage right, and he reads the responding line. And then she goes to the script, and she reads her line, and he reads it. And if it's not a good script, or if it's a... (laughs) A conflicty script, it spirals very quickly. There's a big explosion, and they both leave the stage. And it's taken a long time to craft that script and to de- develop this play, and it's well honed together. Uh, so, what happens if only one person is feeling enough pain or is feeling enough, whatever it is that motivates them to want to change the relationship? is that they actually have the power to change the entire play on their own simply by changing their side of the script. Because if they come onto the stage left as usual and they read their line and their partner comes on stage right and he reads his line and then she doesn't read the next line, she changes the line. She changes the props on stage. She changes her position and she presents an entirely new script the play that they created together doesn't exist anymore like even if he just keeps reading his lines in order because he's used to it as long as she doesn't revert to her old lines that play that they created together that's not working for her and probably they're not working for them it just ceases to exist and the the response from that can either be that he exits that play or that he gets curious or just in some way up levels his own side of the script he changes his script he gets curious to know where her side of the script is going and it can go either way but in my experience when you have a committed relationship with two people who genuinely love each other who have somewhere along the way just lost their way by getting into a rut of a particular way of behavior or communication or whatever and the foundation there is still there's still a there's still a friendship in the foundation there's still love in that foundation maybe they've got there's children in that foundation that you can more often change the play rather than dispose of it altogether. And I think yeah. that's just really important that you don't have to wait for your partner to be ready to change to start to deal with what's on your side of the road, mm. on your side of the script.
0: Okay, so what I'm hearing is that you indeed start with yourself. So you look inward or towards yourself first, rather than trying to change your partner or trying to force them into you know, books or self-development or therapy, coaching.
2: <laughs> oh, so. yeah, totally. Because the fundamental, the fundamental truth is it doesn't matter what you do when you think you're changing another human. You can, you can never change another human. Changing another person is totally out of your control. Like in some partnerships, um, the other person might appease uh, a strong willed partner. Um, They might try, but those changes will never be sustainable, and they will never be um, authentic if they're not coming from that person from their own motivation. And the the least successful way of motivating another person to change is demanding, or coercing, or shaming. And that's it's just it's just been shown that that is not a successful path to sustainable change. And what is on your side of the of the fence is just well, there's probably a, a lot there. I had a lot, you probably have a lot. Most people listening probably have a lot. And um it's, it's really common that when we have stuff to deal with that is feels too big for us or too difficult, or you know, it's just a very well deeply, you know, worn groove, that it's much easier to try and get our partner to make those changes or to make changes that make that discomfort in us feel better and the truth is that that kind of change is very very temporary and it's 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 a very temporary relief and for me always the the deeper change and the deeper satisfaction and the most fulfilling life and relationship comes from where our point of control is, and our point of control is us. Now, I just wanna also obviously say this isn't, I'm not talking about um, abusive relationships. I'm not talking about relationships with domestic violence or anything like that. I mean, with that, that is outside of the realm of what I deal with. For me, I'm talking about, you know, just your everyday relationship to people who love each other and who, just can't talk about difficult things anymore without it flaring up into a fight or one person um, running away, either you know, mentally or even physically. Just always you know, leaving the room or leaving the house, or um, talks about things just escalating and people becoming um, just emotionally dysregulated and distressed and upset and same fights going around and round. Like that's, that's more than the realm we're talking about. And um, very often I, I, I work in a, a particular audience. So I do specifically work, I mean, a lot of the stuff I talk about is applicable to all relationships, relationships with your boss, your colleagues, your kids, your partner, and across all different kinds of relationship models and all different kinds of orientations. But I personally specialize in working with um, a woman who are smart, they're independent, they're strong, they're self-aware. Um, they, you know, they really value freedom, but they also really value deep, and meaningful connection um, in a relationship with a guy who very often um, displays a greater ability to be able to shut down to uh, shut down their feelings and uh, to be able to um, you know who's been conditioned to not feel the feelings doesn't have a large capacity for holding strong feelings coming from his partner and um, and that's that's uh, based a lot on the work that I did for myself and the work I found my friends doing and then you know, people I was connecting with in social media and then that's how that's developed into this particular
0: audience mm, okay I know that there's a couple of men as well listening to this podcast and what sort of advice or insights could you share for them right now in regards of that
2: mm, let me just drop in for a second just of course that. yeah
0: well
2: I think one of the things that the male partners of the clients I have had in the past have found really helpful um, and, and my partner uh, too is um, to do his own work that's needed to be able to reconnect with his heart, to reconnect with his body and to reconnect with his feelings Um, because it's really difficult if you don't have a capacity within yourself to feel your own feelings your own disappointment your own anger your own fear to be able to hold those feelings coming at you like a tsunami from your partner is isn't that's not it's not going to happen it's it's just so it's such an outrageous ask of yourself Mm. and so um unfortunately our culture um, the the, the unhealthier aspects of our culture doesn't tend to encourage men to be receptive to feel their feelings to be communicative about their inner world and so yeah you know, maybe some of the men listening to this podcast have been raised with that with that you know that concept of you know, man up or or could you swear on this podcast? If I wasn't saying, you know, don't be a don't be a pussy and stuff like that. It's like um, a lot of the slurs that men experience growing up are slurs that put them in the feminine and indicating that the feminine is weak or lesser or poor. and that doesn't do men or women any good. So that's 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 a place that I would. So I would recommend men starting finding other men to connect with, to share with, to realize that they're not an island, to realize that their experience is not unique, that there are a lot of brothers out there having the same experience and redefining masculinity, redefining relationships, what their role is, um, redefining the parts of themselves that were shunned when they were boys yeah I heard that um a lot of boys a lot of yeah a lot of boys don't even have they don't get physical affection after they're about five once they sort go to school they um it's not considered I don't know necessary or appropriate to give young boys affection and I think that is a a tragedy actually um that that a lot of men are still working on you know in their 30s, 40s, 40s. 50s.
0: How would you describe feminine or masculine energy? What does that mean? And can men and women have both? Or can they be in one energy more than in the other, the opposite? And how does it look like? So for the listeners who might not be familiar with the energies...
2: So for me, the um, the biggest danger in talking about masculine and feminine energies is um, the way it can sometimes present as gender stereotypes, which I'm definitely not into. And um, if in fact in, in my work, in fact in my work and my life, um I do a lot of sort of, I have a lot of conventional aspects to my life. You know, I have a uh, a relationship, I have a family, I have a home, I have a lot of things that look you know, sort of conventional, but the, it's the way that I actually live within them that is um, done unconventionally. <laughs> and um, so the gender stereotypes don't hold very well for me. However, ma- masculine and feminine energies are really important to me. So um, I heard uh, one speaker describe them as, um, describing the, the feminine energies as the creative principle and masculine energies as the organizing principle. So for listeners that find the idea of masculine, feminine, yin-yang dynamics uh, challenging or triggering, that's sometimes helpful to think of it as the the creative principle in the world and the organizing principle. Um, For me, I view that as a continuum. And uh, for me personally, I, I believe that we all have, uh, masculine and feminine energies within us and the more balanced they are within us as individuals the healthier we are as individuals because there are times in my life when i need to draw on the creative principle um and i may be you know, really like in, in this in this interview for instance like i am more in the feminine energy because i am being it's, it's very expressive. I'm feeling really emotive. There's a lot of, I can feel there's a lot of energy moving through me. There's a lot of movement, a lot of ideas. It's just, there's a fullness. But when I am working in the container with my clients, I am holding more of the masculine energy. I'm more focused. I hold the container. I hold the space. I direct, um, you Where know, we're going I lead. Um, like, you know, creating that kind of, safety is for me more of the organizing principle so I personally believe that the more balanced we are in that within ourselves the healthier we can function in a relationship and not only balanced but there's also you know mature expressions of the masculine and feminine and there's immature unhealthy expressions of the masculine and feminine so again the more we can look into that and we can Heal those dynamics within us so that we move towards a a more balanced masculine and feminine aspects within us in the most mature and healthy version possible. Obviously, the better our relationships will be. Um, And so that's masculine feminine dynamics, maybe in general. And what I found is over time because of the move for women to be more independent, more empowered, to have equal opportunities with men in the workplace, in society, you know, in, in whatever ways, um, as women, a lot of women gave more importance to their masculine side than to their feminine side. Because when you look out in society, and you know, I looked out in my family, I looked out in my school, I looked out in the first work environments I got into, um nothing about the feminine aspects of me was valued or honored. Women had less power, emotions were shamed, being expressive was shamed, having monthly cycles was shamed. Um, and so I, like many other women I work with shunned the feminine side of me and developed the masculine side. I focused on success, I focused on ambition, I focused on being super clear on being a thinker, not a feeler and all that sort of thing. And with that for me came some distortion as to what the way masculine and feminine energies is expressed in the individual and not only in their life, but then also in their relationship. And so what I found is that women developed ideas that weren't necessarily in alignment with their heart. And some of those ideas were about being independent. I don't need a man. You would say, I don't need a man. I choose a man. Um, I- I don't need to have doors open for me. I don't need him to take the trash out. I can do it myself. And for a lot of women also who've um, been, say, single parents for a long time, um, needing to take on all of the roles, there's um, a strong walling off um, of their vulnerability, of their more sensitive side, um, of there's just like a sort of distortion in that dynamic that's coming to play. And what I realized through my own journey and through working with many, many women with a, a similar kind of mindset is that it's appropriate that society treat men and women equally, that we are given equal opportunities, that people with skills and the desire and motivation get the opportunity to the same kind of training, the same kind of jobs, all of that kind of thing. Um, but when we carry that into our relationships, it doesn't always hold true. So in our relationships, so sort of with gender stereotypes and masculine and feminine dynamics get a bit blurry. is that um, in your relationship, there might be like roles that you look at unconventionally outside of the gender stereotypes. So where, you know, you you can take on anyone. Maybe you are better in the house at doing DIY and your partner is better with the kids. And um, that's brilliant. You know, you have to work with your whatever your strengths are. But what I found happened is that women who have an essential, Feminine essence relationally and sexually uh, were overriding that because they had a feminist outlook. If that makes sense, and I, was, I I started to think of this as one of the ways that you know sort of feminism failed women in that we develop ideas that. Override what our essential feelings are and what our essential energy is and so what I started finding is that there were a, a lot of women who um, emphasized their masculine essence their masculine energy or their masculine side uh, in being amazing in their career and you know shooting up the career ladder and very good at organising life and and in a relationship with a guy that just didn't step up, just didn't feel that it just wasn't satisfying to her in some fundamental way and it just didn't make sense. And the more I looked at the masculine and feminine di- dynamics of that, is that, and for me it's the same, a lot of, uh, there are also, men who are found were raised, and this is where it sometimes, you know, it can get a bit controversial, but I just speak from the experience I've had and the, the good that sometimes looking at some of these dynamics um, makes, um, some men were raised in all-female households, uh, raised with either single mothers or with absent fathers, or raised in households with a very very strong mother and a not a, a more sort of weak or less assertive father and um were in some way feminized in in their behaviors and in their thought processes and so very often I found that uh this very strong independent woman and these less assertive men fell in love and were partnered and if you are naturally a masculine essence woman, because I didn't say this up front, but the, the core essence like you have relationally or sexually can be masculine or feminine, and that's unrelated to your gender. Um, and again, I'm looking at this obviously from a very binary perspective because that is the realm that I work within. So my apologies to your audience who, well, this does not relate to them, um, but this is the realm that I particularly work in, and the specific people who I help and work with. So this is where I speak from. And um, and if you are naturally a masculine essence woman, and you are in a relationship with a naturally essence like feminine man, um, the dynamic is great, and it works, and it's brilliant. But what I was finding for myself and people that I have been working with is that they are presenting as more dominant in their masculine energy uh, with a partner who is tending more towards his feminine energy and there's dissatisfaction in the relationship. And the the dissatisfaction isn't because uh, she's in her masculine energy and he's in his feminine energy, but actually because that's not authentic for either of them relationally. And when, and, and the, the way I've seen that exhibited that the, the main thing I see from the, the female partner side is just this, this real sense of wanting her husband or her partner to just step up more, to um, not agree so easily, to, um, to not let her, of run the relationship especially with her big emotions or her strong opinions and when i looked at it from the outside what i saw primarily was when those women are in the world they're in their job they're in their business they are even you know managing the, the kids or um you know running a project writing a book whatever that is that is an incredible place for them to channel their masculine energy. It's, it's, it helps them organize and direct and focus. In, it's like the, the, the riverbanks to the river so that it allows that water to run in a strong deep stream that can carve canyons. Mm. Um, but when she takes that same energy home and into the relationship with her partner, she will over time... emasculate him and he will move more and more into his feminine energy when he's at home and she will get more and more frustrated and even if they had an incredible sex life at the beginning of the relationship over time the polarity between them will lessen or or flatten out because even though um, there's like a a masculine essence person and a feminine energy person in the relationship, um, because that's not where they are authentically, relationally and sexually, that's, it doesn't create a spark, but it does create frustration. Perfect. And over time, once the honeymoon phase is over, you find the, the spark is replaced with power struggles and the passion is replaced with conflict.
0: Hmm. okay that makes so much sense (laughs) i have so much to think about right now (laughs) okay yeah i'm processing (laughs) how can a person or the couple learn how to become more aware of those dynamics or can you even call it dynamics, or is it once again?
2: I think it's they are dynamics, but they you know they learn dynamics. They dynamics that we learned in our childhood, and the dynamics we maybe learn in the workplace. So that they are dynamics, and it's the same as any other dynamics we talked about from the beginning. If you want to change the dynamics, you first have to become more aware. So the first step is always, uh, if you if you are. Uh, a woman and you're in a relationship with a, a man or your man in a relationship with a woman and things are going well you have sex as frequently as you want it's as passionate as you want and um, you can talk about money and you can talk about housework and you can talk about kids or the pets or whatever and you can you know solve things and there's no problem and there's no big conflicts then you're okay but obviously that's not the person that I Mm, yeah (laughs) Yeah. and um so if you're in a situation where you know you are and this I guess the relationship problems go in two ways either people sort of shut down and they just just the relationship dies a quiet death over a period of time and the other one is where um I think and for me I don't know I find I think that's a little bit more where people have given up their authenticity and don't know how to come back to themselves and they give up on the relationship but don't have enough energy just you know, just to end it. Um, those tend not to be the people I work with the most. And the other side of the coin are the people who really genuinely still love each other. There's, there's still passion, but it may not be expressed as passion. A lot of the time It would be expressed, you know, the other side of that coin is a conflict. And the reason why there's still so much conflict is because they're trying to find a way to make this relationship work because they don't want the relationship to end. They still love the other person. They just don't have the tools or the skills to be able to change things effectively. And that, I think a long time ago, I heard this quote by um, Jeff Brown, where he said, um, it's called a relationship, not a love ship. <laughs> because love isn't enough, you know. You need relationship skills, and for me, we all need relationship skills. Mm. And overall, you know, relationships aren't natural. You know, you think they'd be natural, but they aren't natural because they're really they're distorted. You know, they're distorted by trauma, they're distorted by conditioning, um, they're distorted by the fact that um, most of us in our relationship, when things get hard. Uh, regress to a much younger age and we don't realize that's what's happening so instead of having two adults who can work through a conflict as a team uh, you instead have two kids in adults bodies who are vying for care and to be seen or to be heard or to be loved or to be taken care of in some way and that is not a (laughs) recipe for passion and neuroticism Uh, and connection and fulfilling relationships hmm. so one of the ways is to recognize that just because your relationship might suck right now and you um, can't talk about things without them flaring up and one person slamming a door and leaving or uh, shutting down and the other person accelerating and accelerating and getting told it's just a mess and kids are watching and it's just really 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 painful and difficult for everyone to know that 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 while that is not okay it's also completely understandable that that's how we end up and so we can't really change those dynamics until we find a way to step out of the weeds and the mud of that dynamic and find a slightly higher viewpoint, slightly detached outside viewpoint. So sometimes you can do that just by watching a video or listening to a podcast and recognizing something and realizing there's a way to do it other than the way that you're doing it. That's an awareness. You can read a book, especially with great relationship books that have um, practices and exercises in them. And you can start working through that on your own. You don't even have to wait till your partner is ready. And if your relationship is in a really bad place, chances of your partner being open to you suggesting something, this is probably quite slim. Um, So just get started on your own. There's a lot of ways you can get started on your own. Um, Because once you shift your own awareness, you can see the things that you are doing that are contributing. Even when it looks like your partner is the problem, um, with a little bit of a shift in perspective, sometimes you can see the thing that you're contributing to that fire. Mm. You know, it, it might be that your partner lights it every time, but there might be a really subtle way in your blind spot that you're not recognizing that you're throwing fuel on it or that you set the wood up that they come along in light. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very hard to see that if you don't access something that models for you other ways to do deal with the same things that you're dealing with just you know, in the just from a fresh perspective or with a slight tweak to a relationship skill like communication or um self-care you know self-care is an incredible relationship tool. it's the, probably the least selfish thing you can do in mm-hmm. a relationship <laughs> as long as you're as long as you are attending to self-care the aim of being able to be more present in your relationship and bring that energy back to your relationship as opposed to escaping or running away from your relationship
0: mm. okay what about chemistry you mentioned earlier for example, you know, sex as well. So that's always, I think, a big topic within a relationship or even long-term relationships. So what can you see on the topic of chemistry and compatibility?
2: Well, that's two separate conversations. So I'll just touch briefly (laughs) on the one because um, on the topic of chemistry and compatibility that I would look at more in terms of dating, Uh, or at the start of a relationship. And the most important thing I can say on that is that chemistry is no equivalent to compatibility. That you can have amazing, amazing chemistry with somebody and not in any way be compatible. Your values aren't compatible, your lifestyle isn't compatible, and that will feel very compelling but it's probably not sustainable unless you both are incredibly self-aware and have amazing relating skills. Um, So thats I don't work very much on the dating side of relationships, but that's probably the best thing I can offer (laughs) to not confuse chemistry and compatibility. In terms of long-term relationship, um, I believe that a healthy connected fulfilling relationship is one where the chemistry and the relationship itself is renewed on a regular basis where you fall back in love with your partner time after time after time after time of the long term and that the friendship deepens and the sex gets better over the long term of a relationship which is pretty much goes against the standard model or you know, joke about relationships mm-hmm. and marriage. So I think in a, the healthiest relationship, the kind of relationship that I believe in and that I have in my life and that I work on to have in my life and that I help my clients have is one where the relationship itself acts as a spiritual path. That the relationship itself helps to highlight the blocks in you, the the conditioning in you that doesn't serve you, the incorrect beliefs you formed in childhood about yourself, about other people, about men, about women, about relationships, about love, about life. And that the relationship is there to serve as a mirror to highlight both the best and the worst in you. And that then you and your partner work together as a team, and also separately, to work through those to become the absolute best, most honest, most vulnerable, most connected version of yourself together. Mm. And that's what keeps the spark and chemistry going in a long-term relationship. Mm. Um, the the short version is the number one key, I think, to keeping chemistry alive in a relationship is transparency is actual genuine true honesty but also uh, communication skills to be able to have a relationship that is so unconventionally revolutionarily honest uh, in a way that actually grows you and your partner um rather than um this horrible idea of brutal honesty which I am not on board with at all <laughs> not on board with brutal honesty but I am on board with being deeply truly honest with yourself and deeply truly honest with your partner and being your own full complete creatively expressed and fulfilled self and them being that too and together having that be the basis of your relationship so that the synergy of these two whole complete expressed mm. actualized people <laughs> together is more than either of you could be on your own mm. but it's not dependent on each other
0: lovely <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind is because you mentioned that a partner acts as a mirror or a relationship right it forces you to look at yourself in some ways in good ways what, in bad ways invite-
2: invites you it
0: invites, it invites you, you. <laughs> <laughs> okay and what comes to mind is triggers i personally love to look into triggers and face them it's not easy and it takes a lot out of you sometimes but why is it that they seem to be the most intense within relationships and how can someone handle it when they get triggered
2: Oh, I love this because actually I was talking to a client about this yesterday. And about how through childhood, through our trauma, through our experiences, our conditioning, uh, we end up with buttons inside of us. You know, you can see our wounds as, as buttons that we can't see. But that to our partner, unconsciously to our partner, they look like bright red glowing neon signs that say press me <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> and that in the relationships where we have the deepest connection and the deepest potential and often where you have the strongest attraction with a person in the beginning and you feel like you've known the person in your whole life there must have been a past life partner or something uh, is I'd say guaranteed that those partnerships are the ones where the person we have chosen to partner with, out of all the people, the seven, eight billion people on this planet, that person is probably the most adept at seeing and pressing the things in us that, that are between us and our fullest, most actualized expression of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the only like, the, um, hitch with this plan to you know, choose a partner like that is that number one, we have no idea that we've done that. And we have no idea about the buttons that are inside us. So every time we press one of the buttons, we hate them. We blame them. We think that they are not who we thought they were. We think they are unkind and thoughtless. And I'm not saying that they aren't unkind or thoughtless. They might well be unkind or thoughtless, mm-hmm. but something in us did choose them for a specific flavor of thoughtlessness or inconsiderateness or whatever, because there's something in what they do that matches something that we carried forward with us from our childhood. Mm. So that's that's the overall basis. So in the beginning when a partner's triggering you and you have no idea about this process, um, it's it's just very painful. But once you learn that this is a reality, and practice uh, skills around this long term there's a point in the future where when your partner's tripping me you, you can almost look at them and go thank you for highlighting the next thing I have to work on I'm going to be so much of a better person
0: <laughs> after I've got through this
2: and I'm um, just and like this is like obviously within reason this is I do find that uh, especially spiritually focused women can stay in relationships past their sell-by date because they believe in they believe in this in working through stuff and in staying with someone who triggers them so they can work through it and that's not always the case that's you have to you know know for yourself and so you know if you're one of those people it's it's good to explore that belief and it's good to explore um, whether you know that this is a partner who's helping you into spiritual growth or if it's actually just an incompatible or abusive relationship that you can end and then keep working on the stuff that you've worked out afterwards. So, you know, I can't, I can't reflect on that because it's on a case-by-case basis with people, but just to flag that as a, as a potential trap Mm -hmm. on this path. Um, But generally speaking, when your partner is triggering you, you can tell that that usually the more, the bigger the, the reaction to what they've done and the more disproportionate The reaction to what they've done, the more likely that that the bulk of that reaction is your history, Mm -hmm. and only some of it might be their current behavior. But again, to remember, we write these scripts together, so uh, they may have some unpleasant behaviors or uh, inappropriate behaviors, or they may lack accountability, or you know whatever the thing is and that is theirs. But we will not be able to work through that in the relationship until we have dealt with a disproportionate part of our reaction. So um, I, I would describe myself as trauma-sensitive or uh, trauma-informed. And through that process, I, I, and I, I do tend to work with women who um, are very passionate. Are very uh, emotional. You know, they they're, they're, like, I'm, I'm doing air quotes now, the too much, the too much woman, the women who are who are reactive, who do love strongly, who do react strongly. And uh, one of the first things that I do in that process is help them to regulate their emotions in that moment mm-hmm. and to take steps. To uh, work with the part of them that is running that tape. So that's so in my work, I, I, you know, we talk about I've been talking about relationship coaching, but I'm not strictly speaking a coach because my work encompasses uh, some coaching, which is you know forward-looking behaviors. It also is um, sort of on the therapy, counselling side where we do explore the past and we explore past patterns. Um, I have a, a background in uh, shamanic uh, practice for 20 years and I uh, have personally self-studied a lot of different healing modalities so we do very deep uh, inner parts work um, on that part that is getting triggered um, and also on just you know really practical pragmatic relationship skills and tools and scripts and things like that so I say that if people are working on this on their own, if they can look at if they're getting into those kind of conflicts and when they are triggered, um, to first try and think that this experience is happening for them and not to them Mm -hmm. so that they have power in that situation, even if they are used to being completely emotionally flooded that it feels like they're on a a runaway train of emotion that just runs straight into a wall every time, to know that there is still a point of power in that for them. And they can use breathing practices in a moment to slow down the adrenaline and the cortisol that's flooding their system. They can prepare their partner when things are calm to know that the next time they get instantly triggered, instead of reacting, they're going to just immediately step away and they're not abandoning their partner or um, running away from a a, a, a conversation that needs to be resolved, but they're going to calm themselves down, work with their trigger and then come back to resolve things from a calmer place. Um, They can do um, active practices to find ways of dealing, of actually expressing their anger Lots and lots of different kinds of tools they can use to actually express their anger so that they're not having a sort of a buildup of that that then blows when their partner triggers something. Um, and just, just a multitude of, of tools that are out there like EFT, journaling, um, talking to a friend, getting therapy, working with a coach, all sorts of things that can help them because if they can primarily work on regulating their emotions just before ideally or even after just after they've gotten triggered so that they can take responsibility for that that dynamic and they can regulate themselves that is normally one of the first things that I think you can work with with that but it is um, it can be a really big process and it's one of the things that I really recommend if people are having a hard time with that there's only so far you can DIY that because usually the part of you yeah. that, yeah, because the part of you that's actually driving that reaction is usually protected in your psyche by other parts of you that don't allow you to recognize it. And then when it does come out, you're so flooded, it's, it's very, very difficult to engage with that in a really productive way. So that is one of the things where I'm saying uh, you know, DIYing can take you so far and there's nothing wrong with that. That is one of the things i think that working with mm. someone can definitely uh, access a lot quicker and easier and most importantly more safely so that you have a container mm. to work with those really triggered parts in because if you know if it was if it was easy for you to access on your own you wouldn't be mm. flooded in the moment
0: mm. and what would you recommend to listeners who are stubborn and like to do the dyi <laughs>
2: i I relate i relate to you (laughs)
0: um what would you tell them when is the best point to ask for help and start looking to work with a coach let's say
2: i would say that if you find that you make change in your relationship and everything is great and wonderful and you think it's going to be like this now forever and then shortly after you find you're all just back in the same pattern you keep on backsliding into the same dynamics and that the change you're making isn't sustainable that's a good that's a good um point to call in some help okay. some support someone who can hold a container for you and um, also if you have been working at a particular issue especially if you have been you know really self-aware and really self-responsible and doing all the practices and tools you have to work on that and you just can't get to the root of it you can change a certain level of it but then you just hit a wall and you can't take it any further that's that's a good point Mm. okay and for other and for other listeners who who are less who are less stubborn (laughs) or who hope for help i would say that it's actually sometimes really good to um enter a program or, or work with somebody else if your life is being disrupted by your relationship conflict if you think that you might be able to be taking your business or your career further if that creative energy wasn't being absorbed by the conflicts and the bickering and the feeling despondent whatever in your relationship you know that's that's a great point to go and do it and also if you just feel like um You've got children, you know, younger children, say, you know, under under 12, and you don't want them to carry these patterns forward into their adult life. Um there's time, there's time to change. Even if you spend the first five years of their life and they were constantly exposed to you know shouting matches and fights and unresolved tension and, and conflict in your household. Um, any point you you can change that and model a healthier, more peaceful way of being in relationship. And you'd be surprised at how um, agile kids can be in terms of shifting, you know, shifting a perspective. And I, my, my, my children are um, mid teens now.
0: Mm.
2: And I can see how before I learned some of these healthier ways of relating or the tools or the relationship skills when they're younger I could see how um, you know they're like little sponges and they took that on and and how that came through in their life but I can also see the point at which I changed and then sustained that change and what a dramatic difference that made um, for them in their own lives and now as they are going to their own relationships you know how much that's actually changed theirs for me that was a really big motivating factor
0: mm, that's amazing if one of my listeners would like to <laughs> start working with you because they just love you as much as i do <laughs> oh, thank you how could they find you
2: so my website is relationshipsrevisioned.co or they can find me on instagram also at relationshipsrevisioned And um, they can find. I have uh, my work on uh, social media is currently um, under the an old brand that I just changed over from, but there is a lot of really good writing, uh, suggestions, tips, a lot of uh, good stuff for the DIYers in your audience. (laughs) And also, um, if you go to my website, you find uh, my work with me page, and uh, what you read on that page resonates for you for what's going on in your relationship and for the kind of person that you are, and you think you'd like to explore working with me. Um, there's a form to fill in um, and choose a date and I would love to speak to you
0: awesome thank you I will also put your details into the episode description so people can find you easier yeah thank you awesome well thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your wisdom (laughs) it was my pleasure to talk to you and I hope everybody else enjoyed the episode just as much (laughs) Do you have any um, closing words of wisdom or advice or anything for us?
2: I just that uh, whatever is going on for you now is not in the way of your great relationship. It is the way to your great relationship.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow.
2: The obstacle is the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thank
2: you. And um, okay. yeah. And I, I have absolutely loved to be able to speak about one of my favorite subjects ever on this call. So thank you so much, Cornelia. It's been really, really good to chat with you today.
0: Thank you as well. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for listening today. Make sure to check out listeningspaceonline.com and our social media to find more information about Cornelia and her guests. Don't forget to rate and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. Until next time.